0: everyone welcome to this episode of all things iceland it's jewels and this time around i'm going to be focusing on talking about f roads so you've heard me go over in previous episodes about going to places like Kverdalir and how i love going to the highlands and just these different magical remote areas of the country. And in order for you to be able to access these places, you have to drive on F roads. And most visitors to Iceland never see any of these places, mainly because they have a specific type of car. There are a lot of things to consider. And I'm going to go over, of course, all of those things, including, of course, what F roads are. And if you came across a river, what do you do? Like, how do you... Take on this task of crossing a river because, for many people, including myself, especially when I first started, driving across the river is nerve wracking. And, you know, do you think about it water, your car, all the possibilities of things that could happen that could potentially be dangerous. And I think it's healthy to feel nervous about that and to take precaution. So I would just give some tips there. And at the end, before I do the random fact of the episode, and the aesthetic word of the episode, I'll talk about some of my favorite places to visit in the Highlands. I've not been absolutely everywhere. It is, of course, my goal <laughs> to get to every part of the Highlands. But so far, I definitely have some favorites. Jumping into what F roads are, literally, the F in F roads stands for "fiat vegur." Fiat vegur. I just said it slower so, slower so that you can hear the two different words in that combine to make this word, and fiat means mountain, and veger means road. So literally, it's a mountain road. And what's interesting is that when you are on these roads, you'll see that there's an F literally that starts off this road, and, and it's followed by a number. So an example of that is F nine one zero. These roads are not paved uneven. They often have lots of potholes. Sometimes they have big rocks in them. They're gravel roads in essence, but a lot more challenging to drive on than just regular gravel roads in Iceland. And they're often not maintained as much. So there could be big rocks, smaller rocks. There are, of course, rivers that run across some of them. And while they are challenging, they're actually kind of fun. It's very adventurous. It could be Uh, A bumpy ride, for sure. And so it is really important to know that driving on these types of roads also makes you appreciative of paved roads. Like whenever I go on an adventure in the highlands and we get back to like road one or just anywhere that's paved, it's always like, ah, wow, I'm so appreciative of technology and having paved roads. And Can I imagine what it would have been like for people back in the day only having these roads or not even having roads and just riding on horseback? but I digress. So I'm just going to, like I mentioned, share some tips about these so that you can stay safe and have a fun adventure. So the first thing to know regarding roads is that you can only access them during the summer. And just as a reminder for those who are not aware, the Icelandic Highlands is a part of Iceland, a very large, it's a very large part of the country. And it's uninhabitable. So you're finding raw, untouched nature there, like black sand deserts, really beautiful moss, amazing mountains. I mean, the landscape really varies. But the reason why they're only available during the summer is because then there's not a lot of snow on the roads. I mean, usually once you get into the height of summer, you don't really have to worry about that. But in the beginning of summer, like in June, it can still be that the conditions in many areas are quite snowy, which would make it difficult for you to drive on and potentially dangerous if you were to get stuck. And so the opening of these roads really depends on weather conditions. So the Icelandic Road and Coastal Administration, they are the ones who end up making that decision as to when the roads will open. And each year it is an assessment, and they just kind of take their time and look at the conditions a lot of the times you'll find that some roads open at different times than others. So it could be in June, some can open in July, but usually by July, it seems to be the case that all the roads are open. But if we've had a particularly, you know, snowy winter or just late winter or late summer, I should say, in the Highlands, that's just kind of the, the nature of how this works. So while it's not a guarantee that the roads would be open at the beginning of July, it is much more likely. So, if you are planning to come to Iceland to go into the Highlands, July, August, those seem to be pretty good times. It's also the height of when people come to Iceland. However, like I mentioned, not a lot of people go into this area, and especially to the places where maybe there's a lot more river crossings. So, I've been out in July, in August. In fact, just 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 this July that passed, and was in a part of the Highlands where there was literally nobody on the road with us for hours. And then eventually we ended up seeing some other people. So I also have a link, though, to uh, a page on road.is, which is a website that shows the earliest, latest, and median times for the opening dates for roads in the country. When it comes to closing of roads, that's usually in mid-October. But again, it's all about weather. Could happen in September that there's, you know, early winter and that is just, you know, it's kind of annoying to some degree because you're like, oh, I want to go. But, you know, the highlands of Iceland are so volatile when it comes to weather that you really just have to, you know, be open to the fact that you have this short window that you can enjoy it. And I do have to mention, though, that there are guides and tour companies that do take people into the highlands during wintertime, But they have extremely modified cars to do that. And I will talk about 4 by 4 cars that have been modified a little bit later in this episode. So it isn't as if you could never go into Highlands during winter, but you won't be allowed to do it on your own. It is left to experts with these very extremely modified cars uh, that are quite expensive. And also they usually take multiple cars with them in case someone gets stuck. And, you know, it's just it's a whole ordeal in order to make that happen. And so for your own safety and also enjoyment for being able to do it yourself, summertime is definitely the best and optimal time for you to come. There are, from what I count at least on this one map, 50 F roads, which is a decent amount. But then I've also seen a list that has more than that, like up to 60. But the whole point is that there are actually a good amount of F roads in Iceland that you can explore to go to certain areas. In terms of cars that are allowed to drive in F-Roads, I mean, you could try to drive a two-wheel drive on F-Road, but first of all, you would suffer potential consequences of ruining the car, and also insurance will not cover it. So I would never, ever encourage you to take a two-wheel drive car onto an F-Road. And the only reason why I said you could try is because if you're willing to take that risk, just know that You could end up being liable for paying for the repairs, paying for the car being towed, which all of that is extremely expensive in Iceland, or in the worst case scenario, replacing the whole car. Again, extremely expensive. So four-wheel drive cars are the only things that you should drive on an F-road, and for those reasons I mentioned regarding insurance, but then also the car's capacity to be able to handle driving on F-roads. And having things like four-wheel drive is not just for the unevenness of the road, but there are actually steep inclines and river crossings that will require you to shift the car into that four-wheel drive mode in order to be able to properly get across or get up you know, a hill or whatever area in the country that you're in where four-wheel drive is, is needed in order to get to the next place safely. Not all four-wheel drive vehicles are created equal. So you heard me talk about these modified cars, but also just in terms of if you plan to cross rivers, you need to have a car with enough clearance underneath. So basically the undercarriage of the car and like the tires and everything. So the car needs to be far enough above the ground so that if you were to cross a river, you wouldn't potentially flood the engine. And like I mentioned, there's some cars that have been modified. And you'll see those types of cars when you drive on an F-road in Iceland. The ones that have like snorkels on them and they have like gigantic tires and all of these things. And those cars have been modified for different reasons. A lot of them, of course, because they want to be able to utilize their car in any situation regarding, you know, in the Highlands. And that's pretty amazing. And some of these people are like the majority of them who have this are professional drivers but the good thing is that you don't need a crazy modified four-wheel drive you can actually get a four-wheel drive car from a rental car company and it'll be fine however it is important to know that there are certain places if you're going to cross like a river and I'm going to talk about how to cross a river of course in this episode too but there's certain places where the rivers are very deep. So having things like a snorkel or just like a really a car with a really high clearance will make a huge difference. And typically those who are renting unmodified four wheel drives in the country there, you know, they don't have any issues as well as if you do have any questions about where you're going, it's always makes sense to talk to your rental car company and ask them, you know, or let them know that, hey, I'm going to this place. What do you think that, will this car hold up well for going to Thorsmork, for instance, or Miley Fett, like any other places that you want to go. There's also a lot of different blogs out there on the internet that talk about going to specific places in the highlands and even detailing like how they got there, the amount of river crossings. So I always recommend if you have places in mind, and I'm going you know, of course, share some of my favorite places I've gone to, look them up and see what other people suggest. And just to get that understanding of what you need to keep in mind when you're going to get to this specific destination. And if you feel comfortable knowing that there might be river crossings for that specific adventure. Before I get into the type of four-wheel drive cars, because they, like I mentioned, not create equal, I do want to thank the sponsor for this episode, which is Go Car Rental Iceland, and I like partnering with local Icelandic companies for three reasons. One is I like to support local businesses whenever possible. The second is that I often get asked who I recommend as a rental car company here, and I do have personal experience with them and have always had an awesome experience regarding customer service and getting cars that are appropriate for the adventures that I need. So I will continue to use them for the adventures that I'm going on, which I've been on so many adventures, especially over the last year, and that is not stopping anytime soon. So I definitely recommend them based off of, of course, my personal experience. And lastly, they have competitive rates and many cars to choose from, as well as great customer service. So if you do plan to rent a car in Iceland, you can use my code, iceland Ten to save 10% on your total cost for your rental and that's of course if you're going to use a four-wheel drive or not and for those who are wondering if you're going to be driving just around the ring road of Iceland you don't need a four-wheel drive that is not necessary but of course this is an episode about going into the highlands and specifically f-roads so you will need a four-wheel drive for that so types of four-wheel drives there is a small sized or you know small meaning like the clearance is not as high. And this would be for if you're going to go to someplace like Kvartaler. So that episode I made going to one of Iceland's largest geothermal areas. There is a very small river. And there's almost like a stream, in my opinion, that you cross. And so you really don't have a lot of river crossings there. And so a Subaru XV four-wheel drive is totally fine. I mean, that's a pretty powerful car. And honestly, it can probably cross other rivers, but since it's a little bit lower to the ground, I just personally feel more comfortable not (laughs) going in a car like that. And then you have a medium-sized 4x4, an example of that. And I'm I'm using all examples that you can find on go to Iceland, for instance. So a Dacia Duster. And so if you're going to go to like Askia, for instance, then you would use F910. That's one of the F roads to get there. And uh, of course, if you want to go to Lanmaloyar, which so many people do, then f 2225 which is the west, from the west to get to Lanmaloyar. And there is a small river crossing there. There's another way to get there, of course, that's a larger river crossing. But, but this is a decent car for that. And I've definitely seen plenty of Dacia dusters on the road, whether it's F roads or just driving around the country. And so it's one of those, like almost you can spot who is a tourist in Iceland because Tassia Duster seems to be a popular car for rental car companies to rent out. And lastly, a large four by four that hasn't necessarily been modified or anything is a Jeep Wrangler Rubicon. And so if you were to go somewhere like Thorsmork, then you would take F249, and there are larger river crossings there, but you would have enough clearance. To be able to do that. So, these are all things that just to keep in mind, but you at least have some examples, whether you're going to, you know, Go Car Rental, Iceland's website, or somewhere else, in order to, you know, know what car would be appropriate for your adventure, like where you're trying to go in the highlands. So, what to keep in mind while driving on F Road? F Roads can be narrow. And so, you might have it that you're on a road and There are people who are driving in the opposite direction to you. And of course, we all know that there's opportunity for maybe one of them has to pull over to let the other person pass. But when you're passing, especially on any gravel road, just try to go as slow as you can or slow down a little bit because it's often the case that you can kick up rocks and that can damage the other person's car. And so that's just, you know, kind of a courtesy thing. Sometimes there are blind hills, blind curves and sheep remember this is summertime, who decide to cross without warning and you just need to be mindful of them and slow down to avoid a collision. The conditions of the road can change drastically as you drive along and what I mean by that is you can go from being on a road that's relatively easy to drive to being on fine black sand that would make it less easy regarding traction to navigating around big holes to driving on big rocks, like I've definitely experienced this actually all in the same day, to crossing a river or multiple rivers and then feeling like you're bouncing around just because of the unevenness and and rocks in the road. So just be aware that this is sometimes can be a little rough, but it's an adventurous ride for sure. Before you head out on an F road, it's always, 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 always important to check your fuel levels, make sure that you have as much gas, a full tank and that you have food, that you have water and that there's a spare tire. So all rental car companies, of course, come with spare tires, but know where that spare tire is and know where the tools are to fix it. Of course, it would be important to know how to fix the spare tire as well. It's very difficult to get any type of service out into the highlands. Sometimes you might not even have cell service. And that has happened where, you know, I have... An Icelandic phone number and service here in the country. And there have been times where it's just in a certain area where the, we don't have service. But then there are many other areas in the Highlands in which you do. It's hard to know where that will be and, and won't be, unless you're just driving to these places all the time and just more familiar with it. But that's just something to keep in mind. Also, check road.is to see if there are any road closures or issues Weather.is is where they have, you know, the weather for Iceland. It's the meteorological services. Safe travel.is is usually where they have weather warnings too. And on there, you can make a travel plan. So this is a great place actually to go. That travel plan is to utilize this because you are out in a place, like I mentioned, where you might not have cell service. So then you can let individuals know we're out. We're planning to be out in the highlands this day and coming back this specific time or day, and that just makes it so that if anything does happen and for whatever reason you can't contact people, that individuals such as the search and rescue teams are aware that that's where you were supposed to be and they could come out to help you if need be. This is, of course, being very cautious, but out there is not a place where you want to get stuck and can't potentially get help. So now on to how to cross a river in Iceland. First, when you get to river. If you're unfamiliar with it or it looks pretty deep or you're just not sure, stop to evaluate the river, like literally stop your car, get out of it, look at the river, see if you can see to the bottom of it and just evaluate to see, you know, also if there are tire marks that have entered from one side, probably the side you're on and exited, like if can you see where you're supposed to end up? Because another thing in Iceland is that it is illegal to go off-road So wherever you exit and enter should be a road. And sometimes when you're driving across a river, it might not be immediately that it's like directly across from you is where you get back up from the river. It might be like it's slightly to the left or to the right. And so it's just good to evaluate it and understand what your path is going to be. Sometimes also letting others cross, like if there's someone behind you or someone coming from the opposite direction, if you're not sure how high the river is or if you want to see how they maneuver it, that can be helpful as well. I mean, there might not be another car around, but if there is, uh, sometimes that's just a nice option if you have it. And if you don't have a snorkel in your car, the water should not cover the top of your tires. I like to play it safe and not let the water come above three quarters of the tires that I have on the car. So a general rule though, in order to help you with like Deep, how deep it is, or whether or not it's dangerous for you to cross the river, is that if a river is too dangerous to wade in, so to walk in, like if you were literally to go walk in the river, like take off your shoes and you know, or if you had like you know, water shoes or something, and to walk in it, if you felt like that was going to push you over or it was too dangerous to do that, then it's too dangerous to drive in. And dangerous meaning like you know the uh, it's running downstream very quickly, so. Before, of course, you cross the river, you put the car in four by four mode and don't t- change gear if you're in a car that's a manual and don't stop. So, one thing though, when I mentioned about waiting in the water, is if you're really unsure and you want to feel like you have some good clarity on it, I've been in a situation actually where it was similar, unclear, you know, how high the water was. And so, one of the passengers in the car actually volunteered to wade in the water so he took off his shoes and his pants I mean, he still had his underwear and he walked across the river it was I mean it wasn't very far it, that like super wide but it was wide enough and it was hard to see based off how the sun was shining onto the water how deep it was and so it was actually really helpful when he came back we saw exactly how much the water went up on his legs and compared that with the tire of the car <laughs> and then we were like oh okay it'll be fine This is obviously an option that the majority of people are not going to do, but if you are really worried about it, it is something you can do. And to prepare for it, to be honest, you can have like neoprene socks and some water shoes so that the neoprene will, even though water will get on into your, the sock itself, it makes it so that it warms up with your body heat so it's not as cold. And of course there's like pebbles and rocks in the water and stuff. So that's just something to keep in mind. We didn't have any other cars that were around us. And even though we were actually in a car with pretty high clearance, it was just like, hmm, not sure. Let's just double check. So that's probably more on the extreme end of it. <laughs> but I like to be better safe than sorry. And of course, when you're driving, like I mentioned, not to stop because you don't want to rush through. One common mistake some people make when they are, Crossing a river is that they go too fast and they actually push the water up onto like the hood of the car or just higher than it needs to be. And that could flood the engine. So it might have been that the river itself was not that high, but the way you drove through it, kind of like creating a splash, actually damaged the car. And that damage to the car is something that you would have to end up paying for. So slow and steady is the way to go. And it's just a much safer thing uh, regarding not only for not flooding the engine, but not potentially getting water into the car itself too. So please just keep those things in mind. And These are kind of like little tidbits for you. Some of my favorite places to visit in the Icelandic Highlands, just to kind of give you an idea of where you can potentially go if you're deciding to come and, you know, go embark on one of these adventures, is Miley Fat. So this is a beautiful mountain that actually, if you were to hike the famous trail, you would end up going from Llamaløjar to Thorsmörk. And Mælefætl is a mountain that was created by a volcano way back in the day. And so if you're driving there from Reykjavik, then of course you take the Ring Road. And at the village of Kvølsvøkler, you turn onto Route 261 which will eventually lead you to a highland route, F261. And as you continue on that, the road that's heading to, that's basically north of the Thorsmark Nature Reserve, you would turn on the route F210, you turn right. And then you would see Malifak, this really picturesque, beautiful mountain that's super green in the summertime. And of course, I made a whole episode about Kwerataler geothermal area, which is part of the kerlingar Fjord mountain range. And essentially you take the same route as the Golden Circle. And when you get to Gutfoss, keep going. And that road leads to F35 and then to F347. And yeah, it's just, it's really easy, in my opinion, to get there. It's so much easier than some of these other places. There's no river crossing, like I mentioned, to get to Kwerataler. So that's a nice one. And Lanmaloyar, which is also a huge geothermal area and, like I would mentioned, a popular hiking route. So if you take the west of Lanmaloyar, F-225, then it's much easier regarding the type of car that you take. You don't need like some, you know, car with gigantic tires or a huge amount of clearance, but a Kadasia duster or one of those would be just fine. Now, Thorsmork area is all of these places are absolutely stunning and I, I absolutely love Thorsmork. But on the way to Thorsmork, the very beginning actually of the nature reserve, there is a canyon called Stachholzgau. And if you drive there, there's some river crossing. So that's F249 is the road to get there. And when you stop you probably hike for around an hour and a half like together. But there is a hidden waterfall in this canyon. So gorgeous and so worth it. And if you continue on, it's very important to know that to get to Stachkoltgau, the river's not so intense. But going to Thorsmorg, like all the way, you have to cross Thorsau. And this river is normally quite high. In fact, there is the ability for some people to park and then cross over on foot and continue on. But um, for those who do decide to cross the, that river, I honestly believe that people who are with guides to go on this river are like mo- really modified cars because it is a river that has swept away many cars. And for me, it just doesn't feel worth it unless you have like a snorkel or something. So even though I love to go to Dorsmark, I'm not normally the one who's driving through a river like that or I'm in a car where it's, you know, extremely modified so just as an FYI, but those are just some examples of places I really like to visit. And of course, as I discover more places that I get to go to in the highlands, I will be sharing them with you because I love it so much. And honestly, you know, I've been to so many places in Iceland and every place, every region has a different vibe. So the highlands are really are, I feel like, often be for people who are super adventurous as well as those who have been to Iceland a few times, done, you know, some routes like in the south, or you've gone to, you know, Snæfellsnes or the east, and you're just looking to go someplace where there's just not as many people, and it really feels off the beaten track. So uh, the highlands are just such a gorgeous place to go, and it just gives you a different sense and, and feel of the Icelandic landscape. Before I go into the random fact of the episode, I just want to say thank you to Car Rental Iceland for sponsoring this episode, As I mentioned, you can use my code iceland 10 to save 10% on renting your 4x4 if you decide to go with that, or your two-wheel drive, any car, you know, that they have available. They have a variety of them, and even vans if you need one of those. So definitely check out their websites. They're a local car company, and I think they're awesome. All right, random fact of the episode. So the Highlands, the summertime there, now summertime in Iceland in general is pretty short. But in the highlands, it's actually even shorter. It only lasts about a month and a half. And so, while I have been fortunate to be in the highlands during mid-September and, and different times like that, I just want to talk about an experience that I had. So, the weather can change so fast, and this is why you know I say that people, most people end up going to highlands in July and August because the time when I went in mid-September, I had been checking the weather. It was amazing. It was like a day trip, and it was said to be like sunny in blue skies, right? So as I am enjoying my time in Lan Rolayar specifically, gone hiking and then decided to get into the geothermal hot pool there. As I'm in the geothermal hot pool, it starts snowing. And I mean, like the clouds came in so fast. It was as if like Storm from X-Men had just like changed the weather or something. It was that fast. And that had not been on the forecast either. And this is the thing that I think is really important sometimes when we're talking about places like this, is that the forecast can say one thing. But again, like when we say, when I say that Iceland's weather can change quickly, this is an example of like, whoa. And it felt like it just started snowing a decent amount. Eventually it stopped and it didn't really stick. But it just was almost like a reminder, like, yeah, don't get too cozy out here. Winter is pretty much coming. (laughs) So this is just something that I anecdotally happened to me but I know of other people that this has happened to as well and the fact that this just gives a sense as as to why it can be that the roads to go there can close earlier or later and it's really just hard to pinpoint exactly when this is you know appropriate time for people to go but high possibility or probability I should say is that during July and August you should be fine you know as you get into September and especially into October you're really chancing it a lot as to whether or not the weather will permit it. The authentic word of the episode is ba. I'll say it again. Yehba. Yehba. And this essentially means Jeep. But the reason why I say it is because even though all of the modified cars, the four-wheel drives that go out into the Highlands, they're not Jeeps, meaning they're not from the brand, the company brand Jeep. But Icelanders call them Jepa, and it might be that the first cars coming in were Jeeps. But it's it's just funny that I've heard when I was working for an Icelandic tourism company, we would call the cars Super Jeeps, and we would some on on social media posts. And sometimes underneath them, because you know Icelanders would call them Super Jeeps in essence, and underneath the picture in a comment, someone would be like, "That's not a Jeep; it's a Land Rover or something like that," right? (laughs) And I think it's just one of those like Jeep has become synonymous with this four-wheel drive car that has a higher clearance and, you know, has a certain kind of boxy look, even though it might not literally be the brand name Jeep. So if you ever see that, just keep that in mind. I think people are changing a bit now, but just some years ago, it was just a blanket statement to describe these types of cars. I hope this has been helpful for those who are looking to explore the highlands. And of course, you know, for those who are just curious even, maybe one day you might also decide to take this type of adventure yourself. So you have this information. And of course, I'll have links to anything I'm talking about that might be relevant on for this episode of allthings.com. <speaking in Spanish> Shams flew like a...